I'll be reading from Luke 3:10-14. And the crowds were questioning him, saying, Then what shall we do? And he would answer them to say, The man who has two tunics is to share with him and who has none, and he who has food is to do likewise. And some tax collectors also came to be baptized, and they said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than what you have been ordered to. Some soldiers were questioning him, saying, And what about us? What shall we do? And he said to them, Do not take money from anyone by force or accuse anyone falsely, or be content with your wages. Go ahead and have a seat. We're going to be in Luke chapter 16 today. That's our, our next uh, text that we're going to be working through as we've been walking through the book of Luke. And something I, I ran across an article the other day that uh, it was it caught my attention. And just how quickly things have changed in the world of investing um, across the world. There was, um, uh, there was a time where the only way or... For, for most of us, to buy stock in a company or something like that was to go through a, a broker and, and you would buy that stock. It would take days for that transaction to be able to happen. And what's happened in the last 20 years, especially the last 10 years, there's a few companies that have looked at the, the landscaping of, or the landscape of uh, investing worldwide and said, you know, we can streamline this a lot. And, and now what a person can do is a person can go log in to a company like Vanguard, something like that, and within a few seconds can buy stocks from all over the world with no middleman. And, and things change quickly. Ways of investing have changed a lot because there used to be a time where, where there were, were people that, uh, because of uh, just being able to, as, as was called, play the market, could anticipate certain trends in that. And that has become much more difficult because of all the computer analytics that, that change things in split seconds. And so the world of investing has changed greatly. And as I was walking through this section of Luke chapter 16 this week, something that occurred to me and realized is even though our world changes quickly, there's some things that do not. And this way of investing for eternity is the same in Jesus' day as it is now. And so we're going to walk through this, starting in Luke chapter 16, verse 1. It says that Jesus told his disciples. So he's speaking to his disciples here. He's been talking to crowds. He's been talking to mixed groups of crowds and disciples. And apparently right at this point in time, he's speaking just to his disciples, so those people that are, that are following him. And this is what he says. There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management, because you cannot be my manager any longer. And the manager said to himself, What shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. So this guy is in a world of hurt. And it was common in the time of Jesus for someone who who was wealthy to have a manager. Sometimes the person was a slave but a person who would manage all of their wealth because that, that's quite an undertaking. And so if, you, if you're wealthy, you probably don't want to spend all your time managing your wealth. You want to have somebody to do that so you can actually enjoy the wealth. And so this manager finds himself in a predicament because his, his master approaches him and says, all right, you have been wasting my possessions. 
And I wonder how that happened. It doesn't say specifically, but it's probably something like this. Is this manager has gone along, he's been there for, for a while, and he's become complacent. And boy, all of this, I have access to all the cookie jar, I have access to all of this possibility, and so I'm not going to be very prudent in what I do with my master's money because it's never been a problem before, so it's not going to be a problem now, and I'm just, I'm going to, we're going to have fun me and the rest of the staff, and we're just going to go on with life, and we're not going to approach investments with a critical eye. And, you know, it's just good, you know, whatever. Well, the master comes to him and says, wait a minute, you have been wasting my possessions, therefore you cannot be my manager anymore. And so this puts this guy in a tough spot, because he has no future security. This is in the days before unemployment and before Social Security. Is He's either going to have to pick up a shovel and dig, or he's going to beg on the street. And, and he says, neither one of those are good responses for me, and, or good options. I'm not sure what I'm going to do. This is, I'm, in a, I'm in a predicament here. This is a scary thing, scary place that I'm in. And so look at the next verse. It says in, um, in verse 4, I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their homes. So he called in each one of his master's debtors and asked the first, How much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450. Then he asked the second, And how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, Take your bill and make it 800. Oh, man. So this manager says, All right. I've got, I got a problem here. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take care of all my master's debtors so that when I get kicked out of this place, they will take care of me. So one person comes in with olive oil, one person comes in with a bill for wheat, and this manager sits down and says, all right, just lower the bill, lower the bill. And so you can imagine the response of those people like, all right, that sounds good. I'll lower that bill. Hey, this guy, this is a good guy. This, you know, I, I like this dude. He's good to me. Yeah, this, this is, I'm, I'm enjoying this. And boy, that's, that's a bad deal. And so what do we anticipate is going to happen next? Is the master is going to get furious and there's going to be punishment for doing something unethical, right? That's where our heads go. That's what we think. Okay, this is, this is a bad deal. This, is, this guy's in trouble. Here we go. Verse 8, it says, The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. So his consequences is he is, instead of being criticized, he's actually praised for what happens here. And so, wait a minute, hang on. That's, that's not where we anticipate that this parable is going to go at all. That's not what I, I thought was going to happen. But you notice here that this owner is not praising his manager for being dishonest. I think if you, in this context you have two worldly people, they expect each other to be dishonest sort of a thing. And so that doesn't shock him that this manager has, has been dishonest. Okay? That's, you know, that, that's not what he's praising him for. But the term here, he says, I, he, he praised him for his prudence or his shrewdness. That term, in uh, here's a couple of, of Greek dictionaries, it says pertaining to understand understanding associated with insight and wisdom, sensible, thoughtful, prudent, wise. Or to have understanding denotes practical wisdom, prudence in the management of affairs. So here's an example of, of how, or a real-life example of what this, this looks like. Have you ever heard the term situational awareness? That's what is being shared here. I had a, a very good friend who 
who actually just retired from the Air Force. But he uh, was a helicopter pilot. He flew, flew Hueys. And he spent uh, two different times uh, of his 20-some-odd his, uh, year career serving as a, a teacher at the flight school for the Air Force down in Alabama where they teach chopper pilots. And he was one of the instructors there. And he had a very, very high pass rate. And they used him because it's really expensive to wash out pilots. And so he was very good at getting pilots to where they needed to be so they could be proficient pilots. And, and he just recently retired. And he is, uh, they kept him on as a civilian to continue to teach Air Force pilots. And one of the things he told me, he said, we have all of this, these, these lists of rules of what happens when we're out there flying. And there's procedures, A, B, C, all the way down, of things we're supposed to check, things we're supposed to be aware of, all of that sort of thing that, that helps us fly effectively. But he said, at the very end of our procedures, there is a phrase that says, unless situational awareness deems otherwise. And basically what, it, what the Air Force is doing is saying, you can follow the checklist all the way down, but we know that when you're in the air... Things change and something can go wrong and you can still follow the procedure all the way down and you can crash because of the procedure. So we give you freedom to change the procedure if situational awareness deems that that is necessary. And so in this particular situation, you have this, this uh, manager who's, who's taking care of all of this wealth and he has been wasteful. And so he realizes, oh no, I'm, I'm going to be punished for this, so I better figure something out. And what he does is he becomes shrewd and prudent. And so the master is saying, wait a minute, that's what I was looking for. This is exactly what I wanted before, is for you to think and invest with a purpose in mind, to be shrewd and to be prudent. And, and that's what I was looking for. And so apparently his future is secured. doesn't say that he's kept on there. Maybe he, he finds something else. But the moral of the story here is the manager has said, or the owner says to the manager, that's what I wanted, that's what I was waiting for all along, for you to demonstrate situational awareness, prudence, wisdom, in how you handled my finances for good things to come out of it. That's what I was hoping for before. And Jesus continues on, and he gives four different messages that come out of this. Here, the first one is, is this. In verse 8, the second part of verse 8, it says, for the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are those than are the people of light. So, in other words, worldly people usually know how to use wealth to secure their futures better than godly people know how to use their wealth to secure their eternal futures. Okay, so think about in the, in the um, a person who has no spiritual desires or convictions whatsoever can wake up in the morning and say, all right, this is what I want to do in life. I want to have financial security so that I don't have to work for anybody else. I can do my thing. I can walk through life and, and I can spend money on whatever I want. So therefore, what I'm going to do today is, is I'm going to and go through steps on, on what a person needs to do in order to achieve that goals. You see something along the way you want to, want to buy. Hey, I want that. You do it and you just go through life that way. And so Jesus' point here is that the reality is is that people who are not people of God know how to be prudent and get where they're going financially. And so as Christians, 
is our purposes any different with our finances than that? Or do we just, what I just described, is that how you and I live? Do we go along the same way, realizing that our purpose is, is heaven, but we don't make any decisions differently than the worldly people around us with how we view wealth? That's Jesus' point here, is that, yeah, there's, there's times, it, it sure seems that worldly people know how to use wealth to secure their futures better than godly people know how to use wealth to secure eternal futures. He continues on, so lesson number two, in verse nine, it says, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. So use wealth to gain friends for yourself so that you're going to be welcomed into eternal dwellings. What, what is that? What is he talking about here? My understanding is use wealth to gain friends who will welcome you into eternity. So those friends that welcome you into eternity are the same ones that we in, invest in. Um, look at some examples from Luke. Go ahead and grab your Bibles, and we're going to and hop around just in the book of Luke here, and maybe one in Matthew. But look, if you turn back to Luke chapter 3, verse 11. Go way back, Luke chapter 3, verse 11. It says this, John the Baptist is, is preaching and teaching, and people are coming out to, to hear the message that, that he is sharing. And, and he has just talked about the judgment coming and the way that God is, uh, the, the message of Jesus is going to, to change the world. And in verse 10, it says, What should we do then, the crowd asks. What are we supposed to do about this new message that is going to come? And John answered, Anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none, and anyone who has food should do the same. So John starts with investing for eternity. And what this means in this is here, this is what, what's, what using wealth to gain friends and, and eternity and all that. That's what this is. If you have two cloaks and you have a friend that doesn't have one, then you give one away. That's what God wants of you. Skip to chapter 18. Verse, or 19, verse 8, excuse me. There's a guy here named Zacchaeus, and he is known for a couple of things. What is Zacchaeus known for? Wee little man, yeah, the song. Zacchaeus was not a tall man, okay, but he was also a tax collector, so probably very wealthy. But look what happens here in uh, chapter 19, verse 8, because he has come in contact face-to-face with Jesus, and Jesus is house-eating And Zacchaeus is touched by the words of Jesus, and he says in verse 8, But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, So Zacchaeus standing up is probably about as tall as everybody else sitting down. You can imagine that story, whatever that is. He says, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. So that's the question. Is Zacchaeus investing in eternity like the world does or investing in his future like the world does or is he investing in something much, much greater? Something that's not going to to burn up. He's investing in eternity. God has touched his heart and it's changed him. Let's look at another one. Chapter 16. Here's an unnamed person in a story. Chapter 16, verse. I'll read verses 19 through 21. It says, there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. Okay, so far so good. We read that and the people of Jesus' day would have thought, hey, that that looks good. You know, this guy's got it made. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. And so what happens after this is, as the story goes on, both Lazarus and this rich man pass away. And Lazarus is taken into 
and to a place of comfort, of paradise. And the rich man is separated from God into, says, I'm in agony here in these flames. And so what we see from this story is Jesus tells the story to say, here's this rich man that walked by Lazarus every day. He had wounds. He didn't have enough to eat. And this rich man never took care of the man right on his doorstep. Was that man investing for eternity? No way. He's investing for self and preparing and taking care of himself, and that's it. Let's look at chapter 18, verses 22. Luke chapter 18, verse 22. I'll start reading in verse 18. It says, A certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. And he walks away. And I wonder if this is one of these stories like you have with, uh, because Jesus doesn't tell this Everyone he comes in contact with doesn't say, sell everything you have and give to the poor. He says, that's the example that we demonstrate. That's what we do to invest in eternity. But I wonder if this is one of these situations. Jesus just knew this guy's heart and knew that even though he was a great guy, had all sorts of stuff in order, that what was really commanding his heart was his own security. And, and so just like Jesus tells Abraham, take your son, sacrifice him and stops him at the last minute. I wonder, I, I just, I'm wondering, if this man would have said, all right, Jesus, I'm in, I'm going to sell everything I have right now and give to the poor, and Jesus would have said, that's great, and just wait for the blessings to come. You know, who knows what. But we do know, we see here real clearly that this guy was investing in himself and not in, in uh, what was going to take him into eternity. Let's look at one more. Let's go to Matthew chapter 27. In the uh, Sunday morning adult class, we walked through this uh, this this morning, and so I was I was thinking about it because you see here in Matthew 27, starting in verse 57, it says, and this is after Jesus has been executed. As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. And what he does is he goes and he takes Jesus's body, and he buries Jesus in the tomb that uh, he had cut for himself. But you see here, someone who is wealthy, it says he's wealthy, but in the middle of all of this difficult time, in the middle of the time where Jesus' disciples are running and they're terrified and they're scared, there is someone that comes out of the woodwork named Joseph of Arimathea that says, I will take Jesus' body and I will take it down. So Joseph of Arimathea says he was wealthy, but what were his values? Was he investing in eternity or was he investing in what he was going to get out of the situation right there? He's investing in eternity. You can see that by his priorities. So let's go back to Luke chapter 16. And, um, and here's lesson three, starting in verses 10 through 12. It says, Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much, and whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? And, uh, and here, Jesus gives, and, and we walked through this a little bit the other day, is if the message is this, if we're 
faithful with little, then we're going to be faithful with much. But if we're faithful, unfaithful with little, then when we get a lot, we're going to be really unfaithful with it because we, our character has been set. And how we handle worldly wealth is an indicator of how we handle spiritual wealth. That's, that's Jesus' message here. There was a time, I remember a number of years ago, where um, there was, a, uh, there was a, a girl in the church in, in Great Falls that she had been on a canoe trip with her dad and had gone down part of the Missouri River and had found a buffalo skull that was, that was buried in where there had been high water, the river had come down, and there was this buffalo skull that was buried in the clay there on the side of the river. And how many of you would like to find a buffalo skull like that? <laughs> Has anybody here found a buffalo skull? Yeah, okay, pretty amazing stuff. I've never found one myself. But what she did is she saw that buffalo skull, she looked at it and thought, oh man, this right here is on private land, and I know on private land I can't take that, and I don't know who the owner is, so I'm going to leave it there. Well, later, as they got down river, there were some river rangers that were there, and they explained where this, this skull was, and they said, oh no, that corner right there, private land starts just around the corner, that was actually on BLM public land, and you could have taken that. And she thought, oh no, I had my opportunity and I missed it. And so you know, the canoe trip for, uh, for young guys and their dads was happening that next week. She told us about it. We went and found it, dug it out, and I carried it down the rest of the river in the canoe to take it to her so that she could have that. And it was cool. But something that I appreciated is she said, even though it was legal to take it, she didn't think it was. And she said, my character is more important than stealing this thing. Nobody would have known. Nobody would have seen the difference. But she did the right thing in something that was very small. I remember one time going to the grocery store as a kid and looking over and seeing a $5 bill on the floor and grabbing it and thinking, yes, I am rich. Look what I have. And I remember my mom's response, which she said, Chris, there may be somebody that lost that that really needs it. We're going to go and we're going to turn it in at the service counter. And if anybody needs it, then, then they can have it. And I'm thinking, no, Mom, you, this is finders keepers. I just got this. Do you, do you understand how wealthy this makes me as a six-year-old or whatever it is? And my mom said, no way. Somebody may really need that for their groceries this week. And so I remember taking it to the, um, the service counter. My mom did the talking, and I'm sure I stood there with a scowl on my face. And a week later... I, we went back to the store and they said, hey, nobody's come to claim this. You can have it. And they gave it to me. But I learned something very important is that we're faithful with the small things. We learn to do that. Then we're faithful with the larger things. And Jesus' point here is if you're unfaithful with wealth that is given to you, who on earth is going to entrust you with souls of God's people? You know, that's, that's, the big, that's the stuff that really matters. And so we learn a lot about ourselves and how we, we interact with our, with our own blessings and the wealth that we're given. Lesson 4 in verse 13 says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Okay, there's a lot of things, and we live in a life where we get both. We don't have to make a choice. Uh, we can, if we want, uh, serve God and country. Now, that's part of, uh, I understand, you know, a person uh, serving in the military, that's part of, uh, part of the oath, is serving God and country, or at least one of them has been there at some point in time. We can be dual citizens. 
I know that my children, because they have a mother that is an Italian citizen and a citizen of the EU, that even though they were born here in the States, they are U.S. citizens and recognized as being Italian citizens as well. They can have both, and that's legal in, in both of those countries. Um, there is, um, we can uh, like country and rock at the same time. We can even like country and rap at the same time. I don't know why someone would do that to themselves. But we can like both and, right? But there's some things that we cannot do both. We cannot, this last Friday, be a fan of both Butte High and Bozeman High in the AA football championship, can you? If you went and had a shirt that said Butte High and Bozeman High and you cheered every time someone scored a touchdown, people would be looking at you thinking, what on earth is that about? Or yesterday, a person could not have been a Manhattan fan and a Eureka fan at the same time. Can't do it, right? Manhattan crew, no go. It can't happen because they're playing against each other. Or maybe yesterday, is it, would it have been possible here at the stadium to be both a Cat and Grizz fan? No. <laughs> no. Probably not. It's probably not going to work because those teams are playing against each other. How'd that end out, by the way? Lance was talking a whole lot of smack before the game, but anyway. Yeah, that's right can't be both when they're on the field at the same time. And, and Jesus' point here is you've got to choose that either you're going to serve God or you're going to serve wealth, but you cannot do both. And that, for me, is really tough to swallow when I look at this. And I think, oh, man, wait a minute. So how, does that, how, how do I do that? What does that look like? Because I've got to either love money and what it is all about or love wealth and pursue that where I've got to change my mind and change my heart and say, I will tolerate using the wealth of this world to do things that I can invest for eternity. And every decision I make should reflect that. And so here's where Jesus finishes up in verses 14 and 15. He says, The Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. You can imagine them saying, Oh, whatever. God has blessed me with so abundantly... And this is a result of my good works and my good deeds. Therefore, I'm going to spend it however I choose to. Thank you very much. And that's not uncommon you know, in our religious world as well. There's sometimes just, just get on YouTube and, and search for uh, Victoria Osteen quotes. Uh, Joel Osteen, uh, minister of that mega church down in Houston, his wife, there's, there's, you see clips of no one in particular where she's standing next to um, her husband. And she's saying, you just take all that money that you got and you just spend it in whatever you want because God wants you to be happy and God wants you to just, you know, it goes on like that. And he's standing there beside her going, <laughs> and I'm thinking, no, wait a minute, that's, that's not, no, but that's, what she just described is selfishness, that, that's it. And Jesus, as the Pharisees are standing there saying, no, Jesus, whatever, whatever. He said to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. And so his point here is, the term he uses is values. Where are your values? What are your values truly? Because if your values are are just like everyone else's in the world, then your wealth... You have it to bless yourself, and you do what you want with it because it's yours. But with God's kingdom, if you have God's values, everything that is given to you is to show you how to be a blessing in God's kingdom and invest in eternity. 
And that tells us a whole lot about where our heart's really at. Let me think, let me share some of this, um, because there is, and I, I, I think it's, it's noteworthy that Jesus doesn't give a whole lot of specifics about what this looks like, because when you have Christianity going into all the world, what we look like here in the Gallatin Valley is going to be different than what a person looks like in Ethiopia, uh, for example, and how this applies. The principles, the spiritual principles are all the same. But just think about it in these terms. There was, uh, I heard a story once about a minister who had, who had, uh, had gone through life and he was, he was known for, for being really hard on people that had two vehicles. And he would say, materialism is two vehicles. Nobody needs two vehicles. And he would rant and rave about it. And what happened is he went on along. Uh, his uh, family grew and they ended up with two vehicles. And he changed it to materialism is two vehicles and a boat. And he changed it. You know, we can do that. But here's some principles or just some specifics that I was thinking about this week of ways that we can wrestle differently and making sure that our values are following God and his kingdom. Maybe it becomes time for, for you to buy a house, me to buy a house at some point in time. And do I approach it from the perspective of saying, I'm going to take out the maximum loan I can from the bank, get the biggest possible house I can because I've deserved it and I've worked hard for this? Or do we say, you know, I know that it's all going to burn up someday anyway, and I'm going to get a house, but I'm going to get what we need, and I'm going to show God through whatever we find and whatever we're given to, whatever is given to us. And I'm not going to drown myself in debt, but I'm going to, to choose this differently because my purpose is serving God and not having the biggest house I possibly could. Or here's one, and this may seem like this is, oh, Chris, this isn't, I'm not tempted by this, okay? Here's just for myself, okay? Here recently, I was given the opportunity to, to buy a rifle from a friend, and he gave me a screaming deal. And, and I just started thinking about it, and I thought, man, I would really like that rifle. That's really nice. I'm, I think I'm going to do that. But for me, at this point in time, I looked at my gun cabinet, and I can take anything in North America, Okay? It's not like I need another rifle. Maybe, yeah, uh, anyway. But do I need another rifle right at this point in time when there's, there's other things that I can invest in? And I decided at this point in time, you know, I'm okay with what I have and I'm going to just use what I have to, to try to invest in God's kingdom. Okay, it's not wrong to buy rifles, I don't believe. But do you see the tension there that I wanted to at least wrestle with that and not just say, hey, good deal, there, I'm going to grab that. Okay, you guys can um, give me a lecture afterwards or whatever. And, you know, I don't know anybody that bought a rifle this week, so if you did, I'm not talking to you, okay? I just, this, is, this is me. Okay, here is, um, here's another one. What if you're going through the garage and you've got all sorts of, of old things and and you think, well, man, I could sell all of this for a lot. Or, wait a minute, I know somebody that is in need that really, really needs one of these, whatever it is. And I'm going to choose this time just to give it to them because I know this is going to be a great blessing. Or what if you go through life and you just, there's a hailstorm that comes along and the insurance that you have somehow does not cover that and you're, you're stuck with a, a bill of twenty or $30,000 to a major 
uh, remodel to the house and you feel like you're in a major loss. I've been, not with a hailstorm, but I was in a situation like that once. And I learned a whole lot about myself and how I responded. And if we respond in anger and questioning and why did God let this happen, it probably says that our finance, our wealth is tied way too close to our heart. And if our response is, well, I know God provided and God will continue to provide and I'm just going to do the best I can and I know that God will provide because he always has. Or when we go to buy a, buy a car, do we buy the dream car that we've always looked for? And maybe There's a time for that. Or we at a place in life where we say, I can buy something that just gets me around that's half that. And I want to be make sure that I continue to be generous. Or do we prepare for our financial future by worrying and consuming ourselves with, with what, what the future looks like and, and hoarding stuff and, and working so hard that, that that just becomes everything we think about and it consumes us? Or do we, we say, I know that I need to, as the Proverbs talk about, be prudent and I need to save and I need to prepare for that someday. But... I'm going to save and I'm going to live right now and I'm going to make sure that I'm taking time for people around me and I'm going to share the kingdom of God with them and I'm going to be generous to the church because that's what God has called me to do and that's the right thing I see in Scripture. And I'm going to invest in those lo- the local church. I'm going to invest in ministries. I'm going to do that. And I understand that there is, it's all going to burn up anyway and I'm going to be prudent but I'm not going to be extravagant and, and I'm not going to let that just consume my every thought. Or what happens if we get a windfall and inheritance falls in our lap or something like that? Do I go out and say, Woohoo, here I go, I'm going to blow it, or do I s- stop? And I pray about it and I think about it and I think, how can I honor God with what has been placed in my lap right now? I think those are things, just a few examples for us to consider and to think through, because as Jesus says, how we respond to those situations says a lot about where our heart is at. And just like we can't be both Cat and Grizz fans during Cat Grizz week, we can't be someone that is, that is serving both. And so here's the, the kicker. Jesus talks about, Scripture talks about it from, from the beginning to the end is that if we put our hope and our value in things that we can touch and things that are here, we're going to find ourselves full of worry, selfishness, and emptiness. That's what's going to happen. But if we really take this teaching of Jesus seriously and say, all right, his kingdom is what I'm going to value most, we're going to find ourselves full of contentment, joy, and the abundant life of Jesus that we talk about a lot. And that's what's going to happen. And so whether we have been given a lot financially or whether we have been given a little bit in this life, comparatively, is irrelevant. Our job is whatever we have to make sure that we're looking out and saying, how can I use what God has given me to bless his kingdom and to be the person that shows that my heart is, devo- is devoted to the things that I can't touch and the things that are eternity. Here's a, some things to think about. Is, is, as Jesus said, is, is oftentimes we as Christians maybe don't look a whole lot than, than the world around us. And if you have uh, become a Christian years ago, you were baptized, your sins washed away, and that, this hasn't changed for you much, then this is a great day to go back to Scripture and say, all right, how does, who am I really worshiping? Am I worshiping my wealth or am I worshiping God? Am I pursuing that day in, day out? And, uh, and, and just 
take another look at yourself in that. I know that I have this week and will continue. That's convicting stuff. But what Jesus is doing is giving us the key to freedom here and not letting us get tied down with the stuff of this world, but investing in things that make a difference for eternity. And so if you have not become a Christian today, you've not committed your life to Christ and, and repentance and, and, um, and faith and have not chose to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, then you are welcome to do that today. The elders are waiting in the back and uh, you're welcome to talk with them or unload any burdens that you may be carrying in life. And I pray that all of us, after we, we've come in contact with the words of Jesus today, that we walk forward with a, new, a renewed commitment to invest in uh, the kingdom of God for all eternity. Let's stand and, and sing together.